Well, hello, Chase Oaks. It's good to see you. Whether you've been here a long time, whether it's your first time, whether you're here uh, at our service here on Friday night, or you are online or podcasting this later, really, really glad you're here. Today in this series, I believe, could be a trajectory-changing kind of event for our lives as we evaluate our life in light of God's purposes, starting this series called On Your Mark. And because, you know, racing is the theme and and all that, I originally was going to wear like, you know, like running clothes, but it just felt wrong when I was getting dressed tonight because it felt hypocritical and inauthentic. Because if you see me outside running, call the police. Okay, like it's not good. Something really bad is happening. And I do exercise. I go to the gym. I do the stair climber. I do a treadmill and do some weights every now and then. But... So it's not that I'm against exercise, I'm just not a runner, except that's the image, one of the most predominant images God uses to help us think about what it means to follow him into a whole new life. Like in Hebrews 12, it says that the command is to, to run our race with endurance, because it takes endurance. It's easy to start well in a race, right? But to continue to live a life of purpose, it says run your race with endurance, the race that God has set before you. And every one of us has a race. Yours is different than mine. Even though we, we all follow God and all that, but every one of us has a unique role to play. We've been designed uniquely, and this series is around what does it mean for me to faithfully run my race? Not just to sort of run around in life, but to run what, with intention, to run with the course that God has in front of us. Because it's easy just to even be effective, even to have goals and do all kinds of things, but not really know where it's all headed and wake up at the end of our life and realize, I, I'm not sure this is really where I wanted to end up. Uh, back in, uh, in the 70s, there was a, I don't know if you remember Monty Python. Now, a lot of you weren't alive in the 70s. I was just a little kid. But, you know, you may, you may know Monty Python and the Holy Grail. You know, that's the famous one. But they also had... The Flying Circus, which was a show on public TV and it was over in England and they played on public television. And it was uh, it was funny. So you can go back on. You can watch this on YouTube. We can't play it tonight because it's going online. But go uh, put it in, in one of those things that they did on one of the little series they had was what they called the Silly Olympics. And one of those races was uh, the race for those with no sense of direction. And so they, they start and everybody just runs a different way. And as a person with no sense of direction, I kind of, you know, relate to that. But if you don't have direction, right, you're running, but you, you're never going to win because you don't even know where the finish line is. And in this series, what we want to do is say, what's the race that God has set in front of us? And let's get ready. Let's get set so we can go. And, and so that we can live a life of purpose, which is bigger than just living a life full of goals and resolutions. You know, this is a time of year where we're thinking about goals and resolutions, and I'm all for it. I'm I'm a goal-oriented person. I love goals. Resolutions are a great idea. I have no problem with that. Except on their own, they can be insufficient. Because just because it's a goal doesn't actually mean it's that great. And you may accomplish it, but it may not actually help you end up where you go. It's easy to, to accomplish a lot, have goals and all kinds of things that run your life, and yet miss the bigger picture, miss the bigger purpose that God has for us. Um, I was thinking of that as an, it, just as I was thinking of illustrations in my life, looking back. And one of those was in parenting. 
As I parented my our, our sons, Colin and Caleb, um, who are now young adults, but as as, I, as we were raising them, there was one particular moment. It was like a pivotal moment where I realized that I had some goals that were good goals, but missing the bigger picture. And here's what happened. So our youngest son, Caleb, played hockey and uh, ended up playing travel hockey starting in, I think, about fifth grade or something like that and played until it, through in, into high school. And that meant that what was already a busy life for Christy and me became way busier. And there was something every day, either dry land training or practices or tournaments or games and you were going to hockey rinks and all these different things all the time and we already had a busy life without doing that and so you're trying to squeeze that in taking them all these places and so I had a goal of trying to do that as efficiently as possible because I have a busy life and so let's just make sure that you know, I, I could do this the most efficient way possible. And so sometimes I would take phone calls, schedule phone calls on the way, driving him down to his practice. Not always. Um, other times I'd take him and then I'd come back to the office or I'd meet with somebody and then go back and get him and all that. I was really trying to just accomplish as much as I could and do all this extra taking him around everywhere. And one day I was, or one evening, I was, uh, I had taken him to a practice and then I'd gone to, back to my office, and I was driving back to the practice, and I called my dad uh, late at night, and I was sort of complaining about it, about, man, it's just so much, and, you know, taking him around everywhere and all that. And he said, Jeff, um, let me, I just want you to listen to me for a little bit, okay? Just listen to me for a minute. So are you, gonna, are you listening? I said, yeah, yeah. And here's what he said. Now, that went on for a minute, okay? I'm not going to go for a minute. And I was like, Dad, are you there? He's like, yeah, I told you to listen. Just listen. Just kept going quiet. And he said, Jeff, here's the deal. What you just heard in about five or six years, you're going to hear a lot of. Because your kids are going to be gone. And you're going to wish you had a hockey practice to take them to. You had a hockey game to take them to. And you had that drive to talk, but they're not going to be there. And it's like, oh, man, I knew he's right. And it changed my whole perspective and changed my how I, I, I realized, man, every second that I'm in the car with him is significant. And I'm going to take advantage of that. But I was missing the bigger picture. My goal was good. It wasn't a bad goal. But I just missed the bigger picture. So much so that I'm so glad I changed that, that later after that. When, when he was older and he was 16, about to get his license, we had this incredible conversation where he said, Dad, I'm going to ask you something and I need you to remind me of this because I'm not going to say this again, I don't think. I'm not even going to think this way anymore. Probably once I have a car and I can drive myself to practice and everything. But can I just ask you something? I said, yeah. And he said, every once in a while, will you still take me? Will you still drive me to practice anyway? <laughs> because this is the time we talk the most. And I was like, yeah, man, anything, man, I'll do it, you know, <laughs> right? But that's the bigger picture, right? And sometimes it's easy. You know, I was talking to a mom one time who had this white carpet, and her goal in parenting was keeping that white carpet clean. And when the kids left, she's like, who gives a flip about the white carpet, right? It's just easy to have a goal, but it's not the right, it's just not that big a deal. It's, it's, it, we, we're not created just to be goal-oriented. We're created for a life of purpose 
and significance and meaning. And what we're talking about in this series is how do we do that? And I believe in our culture, we have a crisis of connection. We're a lonely culture. And we also have a crisis of purpose and of significance. And you and I are created for it. That's why a phenomenon happened about 20 years ago called The Purpose Driven Life. Some of you know about that book written by a pastor named Rick Warren in California. And I mean, it's a good book, but who would have ever thought that would have become the phenomenon it did? 50 million copies so far. The best selling hard book, book, hardback book in history. And nobody would have ever thought that. And the way it starts is worth the price of the book. And if you never read the book, I'll give you the most important part of it right here. Free. Four words. The first four words of the book. The most important thing to understand if we're going to understand living a life of purpose. And he starts it out with these four words. It's not about you. And I know some of you were thinking, wait, that's a contraction. That's really five words. It's, I looked it up. It's four words. Okay. It's not about you. Counts as one. Not about you. And as Americans, we need to hear that. Because in American culture, we grew up being told in so many ways in our culture, it is about you. In fact, it's all about you. And if you want to live a life of purpose, if you want to live a life of meaning, then be true to yourself, right? And it's all within. And you do you, and I'll do me, and you just look within, and you, you go where your heart wants you to go, and that's a living a life of purpose. But here's the problem with that. The self is far too small of a thing to center our life around. We're created to live a life that, around something way bigger than just our self. We're created to live for God and his purposes for us. We get a big clue in the first four words of the Bible about that. The first four words in the Bible are, in the beginning, God. Not, in the beginning, you. In the beginning, God. Because before there was a you, before there was a me, there was God. And God created you and me. And he created you and me with loving intent. He created you and me with a design. He created you and me to be part of a bigger purpose and a bigger calling. And that's why we naturally crave that and search for that because we're created for it. And he wants us to know it and to live into it. And therefore life lived around our own little dreams and our own little aspirations, our own little, it's just too small. God calls us to live for his dreams and his aspirations for us. And, and for every one of us, God has a race set out for you. And the point of this series is to say, I want to make sure that I'm that's what I'm living for. And I'm living within that purpose. And for some of you, it'll be maybe the first time to say, I'm going to follow God into that purpose. It may be a way to begin a relationship with God and say, you know, because following Jesus isn't just about believing a few things. It's a, it is about that. But then we believe a few things and then we live a whole life that he set out for us. For others of us, it's an opportunity to evaluate our life in light of purpose because it's so easy to just get busy and get distracted and not even know what we're doing and to say, okay, let's do that. And here's how this series is going to work. So each week of this series, I encourage you to come, invite somebody to sit with you. We're going to be looking. Next week, we'll be looking at our, at our more today big purpose. Next week, more of our individual calling and individual design. And then after that, be looking at what are the things that either propel us toward purpose or things that kind of keep us from it. And, we, and that's always working on us. And so it'll be really important to come each week and all that. 
But also, next week starts a class called Repurposed. And Repurposed is about to take that deeper to say, what is my unique purpose? How has God uniquely designed me? And it's an opportunity for every one of us to, some of you, there's a class on Sunday nights at your campus, or many of your small groups will do it. If you're online, email me, jeffjones at chaseoaks.org if you want to participate, because there's a way to do that digitally too. But I can't urge you strongly enough to do that. So that's the way the series will go. Today we're talking about big purpose. What does it mean? If, if, we're, gonna, if we're built to live for God's purposes and center our life around that, not just little us, well, what are his purposes? And, and what does that look like? What does he want to do in us? What does he want to do through us? And I'll boil that down to four words too. It's kind of a theme tonight. And here's the four words. When you talk, think about God's purpose, the restoration of all things. I was going to say the restoration of all things, but that'd be five. So I'll just say restoration of all things. And here's what I mean by that. So when God created Adam and Eve, the first humans, he created them uniquely. They had unique gifts and abilities, unique calling, and, and they had a job to do. And that job to do was to uh, the, it, subdue the earth, which means, another way to say that is make life work on this planet in a way that leads to flourishing for everybody. The planet creation, humanity. And if sin had never entered into the world, they would have had babies and, and, and population would have grown and we would have been in a sin-free world and we would have each had a role to play in helping life flourish on this planet and know God and develop our relationship with Him and all that. It would have been awesome. Except sin happened. And when they chose sin, and you and I second that choice every day, so we can't blame them, but when they chose sin, sin entered into the world and the world became broken. And we all know the world is broken. It is not the way it should be. It is dark. And, 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 and even the, there's good parts of the world and bad parts you know, in the world, right? And everything, but everything is tainted by sin and its consequences. It's called the curse. And everything has that lace through it. So everything in life is part good and part... Uh, like even thinking about going to work this week. Hopefully it's part good. You're like, oh, okay. But part of you's like, ah. Uh. Marriage is part good and part, ah. Uh. Um, you know, parenting, part good, part friendship, everything. Like church, part good and part, uh. I mean, all of it is, right, part good because God created it and yet has futility built into it. And what God chose to do in a world like this is not just say, well, you chose sin, so good luck with that. Just destroy yourself. He's too good for that. So he chose to intervene. And he sent Jesus into this world as part of that plan, as the core of that plan, to bring restoration and redemption and the opportunity to be reconciled to God. And even though we're sinful, for that sin to be forgiven and for us to know God and for him to redeem and rebuild our lives. And, and he wants to use us to redeem and rebuild this world and restore to this world what sin has ruined. And one day he'll, he'll, he'll finish that. In Revelation 21, it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. The world won't be dark anymore. Won't be futile anymore. In fact, in a few verses later, it says, No longer will there be any curse. That's a new heaven and a new earth when Jesus returns. And that'll be great. But in the meantime, God is redeeming and restoring and wants to use you and me in the process. So what does that look like? Let's take it even more specific. 
It means that there are certain things that God wants to do in your life and certain things that God wants to do through your life. Let's talk about in your life. He wants to redeem you. He wants to restore you. He wants to transform you and me. So you, what is, this, what is he doing? You becoming all that he created you to be. When we think about purpose and goals and that kind of thing, part, one, of the, one of the things we need to think about is, God, what steps do you want me to take toward who you want me to be? Your, your transformation. God promises to do it. Philippians 1.6, he says, And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until, in, his, his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Jesus, when you commit to relationship with Jesus, he commits to you that he will transform your life. He will make you all that you were meant to be, that sin is spoiled. He'll, he'll transform your life. It'll happen between now and when he returns. And, and yet you and I are invited to participate. You and I help set the pace of how much of that transformation we enjoy now and how much will be pushed off till later. And that's why Paul was so intent, and listen to his intensity in this in Philippians 3. He says, For his sake I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I'm not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. He knew there were certain things that God wanted to do in his life. He wanted to know Christ. He wanted to live more fully into that. And listen to the intensity. Like he's just saying, I just keep taking steps. I don't look back. I may make mistakes, but I don't dwell on that. I just keep taking steps and I keep moving forward to what all that God has for me. And as you look forward to 2024, which could be a year of being a purpose driven year, right? A a purpose driven life. Part of that purpose, God, what do you want to do in me? And there are steps that God will invite you to take. And I encourage you even right now to think about, man, what is one step I could take in my own transformation in my own spiritual life it could be a tra- it could be a step towards community relationships with other believers in a group or something it could be a step you're taking now to show up here and, and to apply what god is saying to you and to talk about it as a family and to live it out during the week if you do that every week for a year you'll be a different person than when you started this year same way if you join a group same way if you begin to serve in ministry wherever you are um, there's, you know, same way as you begin to say, you know, I'm going to read the Bible and I'm going to pray on a daily basis and our app will help you do that. And it, it, all those kind of steps, right, that God is calling you to take. It could be a step of faith, a scary step of faith, a step of generosity, a step of ministry. I don't know. But if God is calling you to take a step, well, I just ask, God, what step you want me to take in terms of what you want to do in my life? And then we can think about, God, what do you want to do through my life? And that's the world around you, restoring all that he intended the world to be. You may not realize this, but the Bible lets us know that God has placed you and me collectively in this world and individually wherever he's placed you and me to be part of his restoration and redemption work. He doesn't just push us out of the way and say, look, you ruined this. Let me just let me just do it right. You know, you may have had a dad like that, you know, who was teaching you how to do something. He's like, would you just get out of here? I'm just going to do it. But God's not like that. God loves to use imperfect people 
Even when we mess up and all that, he just loves it. He's just that kind of dad. He loves to use imperfect people to do his incredible work. And everywhere, and so collectively, that means as a church, God has placed us on this planet. He's placed us in this community. He's placed us in this world to change it. To move toward darkness, to move toward need, to move toward injustice, to move toward poverty, to move and to change it. To, to, he's given us a message of reconciliation, how people can come to know God through faith in Jesus and, and how they can have a relationship with God that changes them. We have a message of reconciliation and we have a ministry of restoration. And as a church, we're here, not just for us, not just to be here, for, for that bigger purpose. And that's why we do all that we do as a church and globally and locally. And there's roles for you to play collectively. There's a place for you to serve. And then individually, you realize everywhere God has placed you, he's placed you on purpose. In your school, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your family, in your friendship circle. You're there to be a restorer and a redeemer. And here's what that means. To think about when you go, maybe it's school this Monday or work this Monday. Or your neighborhood, or whatever you're part of. To go back and say, hey, I'm not just there to kind of do my thing and get a paycheck. I'm here to bring to this environment what sin has ruined and sin has taken away. And how can I bring about restoration? How can I help people know that they can be reconciled to God and represent him well and, you know, let people know about Jesus? And, but also, man, how can I bring to this work environment, I mean, you know, make this work environment a place of flourishing and a place of joy and a place of meaning and a place of significance? How can I help my school be a place of where people are lifted up, not torn down, and so on. That's, that's what, the way we have to think if we're going to live a life of purpose. And what if 2024 could be a year where we're not just goal-driven. I mean, goals are fine. What if we were purpose-driven? And to say, man, I want to make sure that I'm living my life for God's bigger purposes, His redemption, His restoration. And, and I want to play my part in that. You know, a great example of that is somebody that we're celebrating this weekend. And I'm not talking about Nick Saban, uh, the coach of Alabama. I'm an Alabama fan, and he retired this week. And pray for me. I'm trying to be happy for him, you know. But we're celebrating. This is Martin Luther King weekend, right? And, you know, Martin Luther King is the only pastor who has a national holiday built around him. Pretty cool. And he was a pastor, and the reason he was involved in what he was involved in is because of the restoration work that Jesus is involved in and calls us all to. Part of that is reconciliation, racial reconciliation and justice. It's actually part of the gospel. Ephesians 2. It's part of the reason Jesus came. And he knew that, um, that the only hope for real reconciliation and real justice is in Jesus. And that where it would first be seen is in what he called beloved community in the church. Where people who are different would be unified and committed to each other. Would love one another and serve one another and so on. And that that could spill over into the culture. And, as, and, and he never set out to be, when we talk about committed to purpose, he never set out to be a civil rights leader. That wasn't his dream. That wasn't his aspiration. That wasn't like his thing. You know what he wanted to be? He actually wanted to be an academician. He was really smart, and he loved school. He wanted to be an academician. He wanted to also be a pastor, where he, and he wanted to be a pastor, as he writes about this, where he could 
a pastor of educated people because he felt like that was his people. He grew up in a church that was different than that. He wanted to pastor a church of educated people and continue his academic work and have a nice life and a comfortable thing and just do that. That was his aspiration and his dream. But that was not God's aspiration and dream for him. God's aspiration and dream for him was to do what he ended up doing, right? Being the leader in that era of a, of a whole civil rights movement. But that wasn't easy, obviously. It wasn't comfortable. And it demanded ultimately the ultimate sacrifice, but all, d- daily incredible sacrifice. And, as, and I've done a lot of reading of him over the last months. And, and when you do, you realize he was as committed as he was to that purpose, it was so uncomfortable at times, and his family paid such a price that there were multiple times he thought about, I'm out, I can't do it. Somebody else is going to have to take it. But God would always remind him, no, this is my calling for you, this is my purpose, you be faithful. He stayed faithful. All the way to the end. And as he got toward the end of his life, he knew that his life would probably not go much longer, and you would too if you had death threats every day. And he's on his way to Memphis in 1958. His plane was, had to be uh, delayed because of a bomb threat of his plane. But he eventually gets to Memphis at night. And before the event the next day where he would be shot and his life, earthly life would be over, he gathers around with a group of people. And here's what he said. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it doesn't matter with me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop. And I don't mind. Like anybody, I would love to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. And the next day would be the day that he would go to heaven. Without any regret. Because he went to heaven having fulfilled God's purposes for him. It's like what the Bible says about David. Looking back at King David in the Old Testament. This Old Testament figure in the book of Acts. Hundreds of years later. God says this about him. Now, when David had served God's purposes or God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. One thing that will happen to every human being, every one of us in this room, whatever room you're in, is we will all fall asleep. We'll all be buried and our body will decay. But some of us in this room will make a choice in this life. To serve God's purpose for us in our generation. And those are the truly effective people. Not just people who are goal-oriented in their generation. But people who serve God's purposes in their generation. Who said, I want to know God's purpose and serve God's purpose in my life. I get one life on this planet. And then I die. And then there's heaven. And then this one life. Which I'll be rewarded for for all eternity. For my sacrifice here. For my... Submission to God's purposes here. I'm going to make this life count. I'm going to live 
around God's purposes, not just my own dreams, not just build my life around me, but to build my life around him. And God invites every one of us to live that way. And nobody's ruined their opportunity. Nobody's messed it up so much that God will actually turn those failures as part of your purpose. We'll talk about that some next week. And for the rest of your life, right now, what I want us all to think about is from now on, what would it look like to say, God, I want to live for you. I want to follow you into my purpose. I want to not just live life around me. I want to live for your purposes. And for some of you, you've made that commitment at one time in your life, and it's an opportunity now to really ask, what is really driving my life? How distracted am I? Or how focused am I? And for some of you, it's an opportunity maybe for the first time to say, you know what? God, I want to know you. I want you to change my life. I want to take steps of obedience. I, I want to walk with you into a whole new life, including building my life around you and your purposes for me. That's really what it means to follow Jesus. What it means to follow him is you follow him into this life of transformation and purpose. And part of this series today is just about saying, okay, we're going to sacrifice. We're going to submit to God's bigger purposes. And the next week, we're going to talk about how God has uniquely designed us. And through the series, also next week, is that class. And I'm just going to give another plug for it of repurposed. Because I want, to, I want you to see this slide. These are people who've gone through repurposed. And I want you to look at their purpose, their unique calling, boiled down to two words. And that's what everybody go through repurposed. That's what you come out with is, you know, you know what? I'm on this planet for that. Because God's uniquely designed us for something. We're not made to do anything. We're made to do something. Again, as a person who... It's just a model for us who lived his life for the something bigger that God had created him for. And this was also what you're about to hear is is an excerpt from his sermon called The Drum Major. It was a sermon in a church because, again, he's a pastor and he's preaching. And in the sermon, he looks ahead at the time that he would die. This was not too far. This was just months before um, he would die. And he's thinking about that time. And how he wants to be known. And I want us to hear him. Not only as a way to honor him, but to be challenged by his life. And so let's listen. Every now and then I guess all think rich How they about that day when we will be victimized with what is life's final common denominator. That's something that we call death. We all think about it, and every now and then I think about my own death, and I think about my own funeral, and I don't think of it in a morbid sense. Every now and then I ask myself, what is it that I would want said? And I leave the word to you this morning. If any of you are around, when I have to meet my day, I don't want a long funeral. And if you get somebody to deliver the eulogy, tell them not to talk too long. Every now and then I wonder what I want them to say. Tell them not to mention that I have a Nobel Peace Prize. That isn't important. Tell them not to mention that I have three or four hundred other awards. That's not important. Tell them not to mention where I went to school. I'd like somebody to mention that day 
that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to give his life serving others. I'd like for somebody to say that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to love somebody. I want you to say that day that I tried to be right on the wall question. I want you to be able to say that day that I did try to feed the hungry. I want you to be able to say that day that I did try in my life to clothe those who were naked. I want you to say on that day that I did try in my life to visit those who were in prison. I want you to say that I tried to love and serve humanity. Yes, if you want to say that I was a drum major. Say that I was a drum major for justice. Say that I was a drum major for peace. I was a drum major for righteousness. And all of the other shallow things will not matter. I won't have any money to leave behind. I won't have the fine and luxurious things of life to leave behind. But I just want to leave a committed life behind. That's a preacher, by the way. Um, I just want to leave a committed life behind. In the end, I just want to know that I did it imperfectly. I did it, you know, whatever. But I, I left a committed life behind fulfilling the purposes that God put me on this planet for. Both what he wanted to do in my life and through my life. And what I want us to do is go to God in prayer with the opportunity to say, God, that's me too. I just want for the rest of my life, I want to live a committed life behind because you love me, you've thought about me, you've created me for something, and I want to live into all of it. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Prayer is just talking to God. He's your Father. He loves you more than you can imagine. And for some of you, this may be an opportunity for the first time to really begin a relationship with God. And that may seem like a strange concept, but God is your creator. He loves you. He wants to know you. He wants to walk with you in life. He wants you to walk with him into a whole, new, a whole new life of purpose and meaning and significance and transformation. And that's why Jesus came. He died on the cross to take the penalty for sin so that we could be forgiven and could know him forever. And this might be your opportunity to say, God, yes, I want to know you. And I want to walk with you into your life of purpose. And I'm in. And when we commit to him, he commits to us. And he will never break that commitment. And for others of you who have made that commitment, it's an opportunity for us to say, just to evaluate. And right now, just ask God. It's a bold question, but to say, God, what is really driving my life right now? Am I really living a life, a committed life to your purposes? And that's what's really driving me. God, is that, is that where I'm at? And if not, then where am I distracted or where am I stuck? Where am I discouraged? Where am I unwilling? I say, God, would you help me just push past that to be able to take steps toward what you want to do in my life and take steps of what you want to do through my life? Father, I thank you that you want more for us than we can possibly imagine. that you want us to live a life built around something so much bigger than just ourselves, 
And God, would you help us even in these next weeks as we gain clarity around that, as we learn to push through some of the impediments to that, God, would you propel us toward it? And thank you for your patience in the process and your grace in the process. In Jesus' name, amen.